two weeks ago, I announced that we had a candidate for our executive pastor, and it was Dave Clark. And uh, the clock began, and it ran for two weeks. And uh, the elders voted uh, this last Tuesday to make the offer official for Dave to be our executive pastor, and Dave accepted that offer. And so we have a new executive pastor, Dave Clark. So we're very excited about that. Nobody's more excited than me. <laughs> and uh, Dave has actually already started kind of getting, you know, if, if you're not aware of this, Dave Clark was our executive past, our, our elder chairman and uh, really knew a lot about what was going on in, at Around Hope and uh, has been really involved for a number of years. But it's interesting as I look back how God was preparing him for this time and for this moment. And so Dave is going to do an excellent job. I'm already very excited. He actually led the staff meeting while I was out of town this week and uh, did a great job. And um, he's excited about it. He's going to actually, he's actually serving and doing some of that executive pastor stuff right now. But his official date is March 2nd. So uh, thank God for uh, that God has provided so quickly for that position, which is a, was a very critical position here at Hope Church. And uh, I guess that was why I didn't panic, that I knew God was going to provide, and he did. So we're very excited about that. Now what I want to do is I want to take a moment, because, and I haven't done this in a while, but I just really felt compelled, uh, because we have a lot of, of hurting people, uh, a lot of really tough things going on right now. And so I want to pray for some folks and just take a time and do a pastoral prayer and just pray for some specific folks that are going through some difficult times. Um, uh, Roger Arnsdorf, uh, many of you know Roger. Roger is involved in, uh, was involved for many years in tree service, and a little over a week ago he was in a tree and he fell uh, 20 feet. And uh, as of now he's paralyzed uh, probably from about this far down, and he's in physical therapy and uh, he's just got a long road ahead of him. He's in good spirits. Uh, it's amazing. I went to see him when they had him all strapped in. They were taking him down to Iowa City, and they had him all strapped in in the emergency room, and I went in to see him, and he, you know, the first thing he said was, you know, he didn't say, well, Pastor, would you pray for me, or I'm hurting, or I don't know what. You know, he just said, hey, Pastor, I think I got a good sermon for you. I said, well, you could tell me later, I think. We'll wait on that one. But he, he is a, he's a fighter, and he's, uh, but he's got a real uh, road ahead of him. Uh, I want to pray for Roger. Another uh, folks that I want to pray for are Brian and Julie Ormore. Uh, about six months ago, they lost their daughter in a car accident. And uh, this last week, uh, Julie lost her mom, went in for heart surgery, and uh, was okay, and then kind of uh, went into arrest and, uh, so that's a really difficult time. They're a very close family. We want to pray for Brian and Julie Ormore and their family. And then um, we have a number of uh, people that are really struggling in, with cancer, and I just want to lift their names up. Uh, Linda Rodriguez, who is a teacher over at Hempstead High School, just a lovely lady, and had just been struggling with cancer for on and off for a number of years and just, just in another battle. And then... Um, Marty Reuter is another person who attends Hope Church, and uh, Marty and Kim are, are just good people, and, and Marty's struggling. He's been an engineer over at John Deere for a number of years and is uh, uh, just struggling right now. And then 
Uh, another uh, one last person is uh, Sam Lynch. Uh, Samantha, I called her Samantha last night. And she goes by Sam, but the reason I said Samantha, part of the reason was because I wanted people to know it was a woman. And she's a young lady, uh, married with uh, kids, and uh, just had some major surgery. Uh, so let's can we just unite our hearts together? And what I tell people, sometimes you see us gather in groups and we pray. And here's the instruction I give. I'll pray out loud, or one of you will pray out loud, but for this morning I'll do it. And then you just listen. And then if you agree, you can just in your heart say amen. You know. And, and what we're doing is we're agreeing that God was going to work in each one of these situations. And, and that's how we bring our hearts together before the Lord. So let's just do that right now. Can we? Let's do that. And so, Father, we come to you and we ask that you would uh, be a very present help because there is trouble and there are difficult times. I pray for Roger and Diane. I pray especially for Roger in physical therapy. I pray that uh, you would help him to get more and more feeling uh, as uh, his spine begins to maybe mend. There's damage there, though, Father, so we have no idea whether he'll ever walk again. But we just pray for today for Roger. Help him as he goes through the, the pain and the physical therapy and all that that entails. Help him to have good spirits. And thank you for the good family that you've placed around him. And Father, we just lift him up this morning. We do pray for Brian and Julie. We pray especially for Julie as uh, she's lost her mom. And for Brian and as he can be a comfort to Julie. And as they both lost a daughter and as uh, now... Uh, Pray for Julie's dad as uh, he's lost uh, his wife of 51 years. We just would pray that you'd be a very uh, present help in their lives right now, that you would come alongside this family and, and love on them and care for them. We ask, Father, for those who are struggling with cancer right now. We pray for Linda and thank you as she goes through this new treatment and help her to have reasonable health. Uh, she, she loves teaching and being with her kids, but we just would ask that you would just give her just a good a day and a good week. For Marty, Father, as he's um, struggling with uh, just the issues that he has right now, serious issues in his life, we just pray that you give him wisdom and direction. Thank you for his faith in you, and I pray that you just carry him today. And Kim, bless them too. And for Sam, Father, as she's just gone through this uh, surgery to remove these uh, uh, parts uh, in her lungs. We just would pray for healing for her, recovery. We pray as a young mom, Father, that you would just walk with her and her husband and her family and just carry them through this time. Father, we're so thankful that we can lift them up and that there's hope beyond the grave and that uh, we can pray at times like this and know that you hear us and understand the the needs and the situations much better than we could ever describe or even conceptualize on our own. But we thank You, Father, that You care. And we ask that You would work in each situation Your will and Your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I need to shift gears. Okay? We'll see how that goes. So I am going to share with you probably one of the most difficult messages I've preached probably in a couple of years. Um, and it's difficult not because of the 
emotional content, uh, it's difficult because it's difficult. Okay? Uh, There's a number of themes. For instance, um, there are people that see the Old Testament in conflict with the New Testament. They see the Old Testament as this angry God and the New Testament is this gracious, loving God. And they're in conflict with one another. And it's almost like the God of the New Testament, if He's the same God of the Old Testament, really needs to apologize for His behavior in the Old Testament. And I've heard it presented, you know, in a sense, that there's that type of conflict between the Old and New Testament. Or it's a conflict between the law of the Old Testament and the grace of the New Testament with the idea that there is no grace in the Old Testament. Is this accurate, though? Can the Gospel be found in the Old Testament? Well, of course it can. Now, I want to just review because we're in the book of Galatians and I'm assuming that you're here this morning and and it may be that you're new here. It may be that you don't have a lot of Bible knowledge. It may be that you um, are just... This whole studying the Bible and going through the Bible is is a new adventure for you, and so I don't want to leave you in the lurch, and I don't want to leave you behind. But this is we're going to have to move, and you're going to have to you're going to have to hang with me here because we're going to get into some really. Let's just put it this way: there's three or four themes that seminary seminarians would go through, and they'd spend a whole semester going through these themes just for the whole semester. And I'm going to try to do it all in one message. In fact, when I was have a, a number of guys that uh, come on Saturday night, and the one guy each will pray with me. But they were all there because we had a men's conference yesterday. <clears throat> and they gathered around, and they said, well, how can we pray for you? And I said, well, here's what I'm praying. And they gave a five-minute synopsis of the message. And they all looked at me, and they said, you're going to try to do that? One. I said, yeah, I am. That's why I need you to pray for me. But we're going to try it anyway. So here we go. So, Paul, a little bit of uh, background from uh, Galatians. Paul is writing, and he's writing to a a group of churches in the region of Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And he's already uh, talked about meeting with the pillars of the church in Jerusalem, James, Peter, and John. And they were teaching the true gospel. Paul, Peter, James, and John, they were all teaching the the true gospel, which is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. But there was another group that claimed they had they came up to Paul's re, or yeah Paul's region and they claimed to be sent by James, and they were adding they were saying the gospel is uh, Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus keeping the law and we'll talk more about what that means. So what is the law? Because you know I throw things like circumcision and law around and I'm assuming people know what I'm talking about when I say that the law simply is this when we speak of the law we can mean anything from as little as the 10 commandments to all of the old testament laws did you know that there are 613 commandments in the old testament and these came essentially in the book of Exodus and Leviticus but you you have Moses and Mount Sinai getting the law getting the law covenant from God, and God's, you know, He comes down with the tablets, and not just that, He's got, He's got the dietary laws, He's got the social laws about how they're supposed to deal with certain situations, He's got the whole sacrificial system and how the, 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 um, the uh, tabernacle is supposed to be set up. All of that is, is, is part of what could be considered the law. So these, these false teachers were putting the law that was given to Moses in conflict with the promise that was given to Abraham. In Genesis 12, one of the most key pivotal passages in all of the Old Testament, 
God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. We call that the Abrahamic covenant. Or, and a covenant's nothing more than agreement. It's a, it's a contract. It's an agreement. And so God makes an agreement with, with uh, Abraham. But later on in the book of Exodus, around chapter 20, God makes an agreement with Moses. We call that the Mosaic covenant. And that's where we get the Ten Commandments and different things like that. Now, this passage we're going to look at is, as I said, it's complex. And it's going to, you're, we're going to have to look at the Old Testament because that's what Paul's referring back to. He's, he's referring back to those two covenants. The covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant that God made with Moses. And he's really going to talk about how those two covenants, how those two agreements work with each other. And here's, here's, what he's, here's kind of what he's saying. He's saying, do you think that the, God, the covenant that God made with Abraham is superseded after he makes this covenant with Moses? In other words, does the Mosaic covenant mean that this promise, the covenant of promise with Abraham, is over? And he's going to say, no, it's not. Because what were the, what were the false teachers saying? The false teachers were basically just following the Mosaic covenant. And Paul's going to show how the two covenants are related to one another. And that's where it gets a little sticky. So we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to talk about it. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, page 891, if you have a chair Bible, you want to use that. But uh, if you want to follow along with me, it's a, a lengthy passage of Scripture. As I read through it, some of it you're going to go, I don't know really what's going on here. And some of it, it's pretty in-depth, in but you'll, you'll do okay. And we're going to take a break a little bit just so we can kind of catch our breath, so... Let's dive, let's dive in here. Dear brothers and sister, sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be, it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave His law through the angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when He gave His promise to Abraham. Is there conflict then between God's law... That's the Mosaic Covenant and God's promises. That's the Abrahamic Covenant. Is there conflict, he's asking? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we have received God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. 
Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. So here's, let's talk about this passage. The law was given to Moses. God gave the law to Moses for a good reason. The law was given, and the overall purpose of the giving of the law was to do one thing. It was to show people, first the nation of Israel, but ultimately us, that we couldn't keep it. So God gave the law to show us that we were breaking the law and that we couldn't keep it. In fact, if you look at the law, God built the sacrificial system in it. What was the sacrificial system? It was forgiveness for when you broke the law. So He he gives the law, He gives the Ten Commandments, and He gives the sacrificial system next to the Ten Commandments. And He basically says, I'm giving you the sacrificial system because you're going to break the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Essentially, that's what it is. So He has a built-in system to cover sins because we could not keep the law. And essentially, when you really listen to the law, it says, obey, but, but you won't be able to obey. The Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, the sacrifice, they were all set up to remind people that we all fall short. In fact, Paul says that in Romans 3. He says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You know what? That's the first place to begin with Jesus is to see your need. If you don't ever see your need, then you don't ever need a Savior. But Paul basically is very clear that until you come to a place where you see your need, you're in big trouble. Now, some people would say, well, listen, Pastor, I, I appreciate all you're trying to do, but I just think we just need to live by Jesus. And Jesus basically gave us the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let's take the golden rule. Are you telling me that there's ever been a person that's walked this earth that's perfectly kept the golden rule? Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I don't believe anyone has ever lived other than Jesus that probably could say, I've kept the golden rule perfectly. So all these people that say, well, I just want to live by the golden rule, you say, fine. But that's kind of a hard rule to live by. And in fact, it's an impossible rule to live by. And, and I think that the, the point that Paul is making here is that we've all fallen short. We're all prisoners. And that's why he says in Galatians 3.19, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Now, the law was never given to make us right with God. But that's exactly what the circumcision party was trying to do. They were coming and they were basically saying to these believers, they were saying, you believe in Jesus, right, but you also have to keep the law. But Paul's saying, but the law was never meant to make us right with God. So why would we have to believe in Jesus and keep the law anyway? It doesn't make sense. Keeping the law will never justify us. The law was used by God to point us to someone. In our passage, Paul is comparing the law of Moses with the promise of Abraham. And he essentially says this promise in Genesis chapter 12 that God makes to Abraham, this, this, he gave this promise to Abraham, and then 430 years later, he makes another, prom, or he makes another covenant with, with Moses. 
430 years later. And his point is this. Does this covenant, this is agreement that God makes with Moses, does that, does that take out the first promise? Does that make this null and void? And his answer is no, it doesn't. So what was the promise that God made to Abraham? He says, I will make you a great nation. I will give you land. And he essentially says, uh, and I don't have time to go to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at Genesis 15, which is a reaffirmation of the covenant. But he says to, he says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. There's going to be, you're going to have more children than the stars of the sky, sand of the sea. You're, and we'll see that in Genesis 15. And I'm going to give you land. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. You're going to be a great nation. That's what he says. Now, at this point, Abraham has no children. None. Okay? And he says, you're going to have more. You, if you can count the stars in the skies, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And, you know, Abraham goes, okay, you know. So the Abrahamic covenant is reaffirmed in uh, Genesis uh, 13, Genesis 15. We're going to look at that in a moment. Genesis 17 and Genesis 24. Now, we're going to take a pause now. Just a real quick pause. And essentially, the argument is this. God makes a covenant and agreement with Abraham. God makes a covenant and agreement with Moses. And Paul's argument so far is God's covenant with Abraham is still in effect. It's not over just because God made a covenant with, with Moses. And this Mosaic covenant with, that we call the law doesn't, isn't a way that we are made right with God. That has more to do with the promise. And we'll talk about how those fit together. So I told you I was out of town. This is a pause now so you can kind of rest your brain for a moment. I told you I was out of town this week. And uh, we were driving back, and, and right in the middle of that storm. And uh, I always, I always like to, to see those uh, delivery trucks or the semis that have, you know, they have the little sign that says, "How am I driving?" Have you seen those? And then they have a, like a one eight hundred number. The problem I have with that is most of the time when I see those, this is my experience. When I see those on the trucks, I generally see they're usually driving pretty good, you know, because I. Wouldn't mind calling and saying, "Hey, he's you know driving like a maniac. Get him off the road or something." But so I, you know, but what I what bothers me is I never see it on a on a delivery or truck or another truck when they are driving crazy, and probably that has something to do with it. So I was thinking, it seems like that's a company wide quality control concept that maybe we we ought to adopt here at Hope Church. So I thought, well, what about preaching? Maybe we should have some sort of way that we can have quality control in the preaching. So I devised a system, and so I decided that, that I'd have a little thing there, and it's how am I preaching, and a 1-800-PREACH. Now, don't dial that number because it's not enough. No. <laughs> but uh, so this is like, picture this on the back of the, the truck, and, and it's my little thing for quality control, all right? So you can throw your little two cents in there. Anyway, all right, there's our break. Now we're back to business, okay? You ready? All right. That was just a total waste of time so we can just gather our steam and get back in it, all right? All right. Now what's Paul's point? Paul's point is this. He's saying, did Moses getting the law, did Moses getting the law mean that the covenant that God made with Abraham is dissolved, over, done? And the answer is no. Now, we need to go to Genesis 15, because in Genesis 15, something very interesting happens. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, just remember the promise I made you. You're going to have many children. 
And that's the part of the covenant that Abraham's really struggling with. He's not really struggling with the land or the cursing and the blessing. Thou bless, you bless those that bless you and curse those. He's struggling with, with the children issue. So Abraham's thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll help God out. I'll have concubine wives, and through those concubines, I will get descendants. Because Sarah's not doing real well, or I'm not doing real well. We're just not having kids, and we're getting older by the... I mean, they're pretty old here. And so he's thinking, this is never going to happen, so I guess I have to make it happen. So he's at a point where he's going, I just don't know what to think. I know God made this promise, but I don't see it happening. It must be the child... Uh, maybe a child of this uh, concubine wife that I have or something along those lines. All right. So Genesis 15, that's the context. So God is going to come to Abraham. Abraham. Now, in, in the text, it's Abram. And God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. So don't let that, don't let that uh, trick you. In a sense, this is the same person. So let me read that passage to you. This is... Uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to do 1 and 2, 4 and 6 and 8 because we don't have time to read through the whole passage. You'll get the gist of it. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram, Abraham in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all these blessings when I don't even have a son since you've given me no children? See his problem. Stars of the sky, no children. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said, you know, I went to West Africa a number of years ago, and it was, you know, we have light pollution all over the place where you can't really see the stars. But there are, some of you have gone to places where there's no, there's no, you know, lights, city lights or anything like that, and you see the stars. This is incredible. I didn't know there was that many stars up there. This is one of those moments. The Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look, up in the sky, Count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham, this notice this is a statement of faith. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I will possess? How will I know? And so God says, okay, okay. Sounds like we're going to have to um, do this. So what, what God does with Abraham is he makes a contract. He makes an agreement. Now, in our, in, in our day, we'd write up a contract. We'd have a lawyer look it over, write it up. And then we sign on the dotted line. And both parties would sign on it. And, and, and I would say, I'm going to do this. And I would sign on the contract that I would do this. And you would sign on the contract that you were doing that. And that would be our agreement with one another. So God and Abraham are going to have a contract with one another. But in that day, they didn't sign contracts. They acted them out. So they're going to act out this contract. And so this is where the text gets culturally foreign to us. What they would do is, and maybe I didn't. So what they would do is they would take, I'm missing a passage here. Oh, here we go. So uh, verse 9. So the Lord said, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him, killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid them in half. So this is gross, and just get past that for a minute because we need to get this done. 
Um, so each animal is cut in half and laid on their side, and so there's a path down the middle. The idea was that both parties of the agreement would walk between the dead animals. The idea was that they were supposed to think, if I break my end of the bargain here, if I break my part of the contract, may the same thing that happened to these animals happen to me. Pretty significant, right? It's like, you know, it's even worse than signing in blood. It's like, it's your blood if you don't keep this covenant. But here's the interesting part about this. The normal practice was each person in the contract would walk, or the covenant would walk between the animals. And each, and so it was basically saying, you will get the curse of the covenant if you don't keep it. The same thing that happened to these animals will happen to you if you don't keep the covenant. But notice what happens when you jump down to verse 12 and 17 and 18. It says, And as the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and terrifying darkness came down over him. After the sun went down and the darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. What's going on? So Abraham falls into a trance. He falls into a kind of a sleep. Um, and, he, and, and, and so we have the presence of God, and the presence of God is a smoking fire pot or a flaming torch. And, and, and essentially, just think of it this way. God is passing, his presence is passing between the animals. Now, Abraham never walks between the animals. And what is God saying? God is saying to Abraham, this covenant is on me. It all depends on me. You have no responsibility at all to this for this covenant. It all depends on me. You're off, you're off the hook and I'm on the hook for everything. Now, Paul's, Paul's, Paul's point is this. Paul says the promise that was made to Abraham, now 430 years later, God makes a covenant with, with Moses. Now, that Mosaic covenant was broken over and over and over. People broke the law, the sacrificial system and all that. But the law was never intended to save us. But Paul is going to show us that this covenant that God made with Abraham, this covenant of promise, not only goes over the Mosaic covenant, but it fulfills the Mosaic covenant. Because the covenant that God made with Abraham was a cosmic covenant. And that's Paul's point. Paul says this in verse six, Galatians 3.16. Notice what he says. He says, God gave the promises to Abraham and to his child. And notice the scripture doesn't say his children, it, meaning it meant as if it meant many descendants. It refers to his child. Paul's basically saying this. Paul's saying that God made a covenant, a promise to Abraham and to his child. To his descendant. Not to his children. Not to his descendants. Now he said he would have many descendants. But he said the promise is to his child. And what he's, what he, and our text pointed that out. What Paul basically is saying is that God made a cosmic promise to Abraham. How would Abraham's seed be a blessing to the whole world? Because that's what he said. Your child will be a blessing to all nations. How? Well, the seed, the descendant, is Jesus. And he would be a blessing to the whole world. He would be the one who would come and perfectly keep the covenant. Now, here's the problem. The covenant has been broken by us. The Mosaic covenant has been broken over and over and over by us. So who is going to pay the punishment of breaking the covenant? God basically said to Abraham, it's all on me. It's all on me. 
So God was saying to Abraham, even if you don't, even if, uh, you don't keep the covenant, I will. And, and if you, when you break the covenant, I will suffer the consequences. I will pay the price. Now, how is this possible? Do you remember the, the, the covenant, the, the covenant agreement basically says, if you break the covenant, may this happen to you. May you receive the curses of the covenant. And it says that when, when Abraham saw God passing through, the presence of God passing through, that darkness fell down, right? Well, in Calvary, when Jesus was killed, just like the animals, he took the punishment of the covenant. And it says the sun went down and darkness fell. You see... The, the point of, of this is God was making a cosmic promise. He was saying, Abraham, you're going to have a, a son. You're going to have a descendant, a cosmic descendant. And his name's going to be Jesus. He doesn't tell him all that. And he says, and this agreement is never going to end. It is a cosmic agreement. It is a promise agreement. And it is going to supersede and it's going to fulfill the Mosaic Covenant. The one who will fulfill the Mosaic Covenant is Jesus. He's the only one that came to earth and perfectly kept the law for us. Kept it for us. And there are, there are penalties for breaking the law. He not only kept the law perfectly, but He took the curses of the law for us. He suffered the consequences. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And what Paul, what Paul is saying is, he's making his point based upon grammar, whether it's seed or seeds. That's a pretty significant thing. That's a pretty significant thing. And what he's saying is, the keeping of the law will never save anyone. The one who made the covenant kept the covenant. The one who kept the covenant suffered the consequences of the covenant. The, one who, the ones who broke the covenant were the ones who were saved by the one who kept the covenant and took the curses for it. Jesus not only kept the covenant perfect, He took the curses of the covenant for us. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. So essentially what He's saying here is this covenant that God made, this promise that God made to Abraham was a one-sided promise. God said, I'm going to keep the covenant. And then the Mosaic covenant comes along and it's broken left and right. It's still broken today. But here's the point. Jesus came to earth and he lived the life perfect. He lived the perfect life. He kept the Mosaic covenant perfect, but he also took the curses of the covenant for every covenant breaker that's ever been born. And so now Jesus took the curses of the covenant. And just as darkness came down when God passed between the animals, so darkness came down on Jesus when he passed through the shadow of the valley of death for us. So essentially Paul's point is this. No one has ever made right by trying to keep this Mosaic Covenant, by keeping the law. It was never intended for that purpose. There was only one person who could keep it, and he did. There was only one person who could suffer for the penalty of, taking, of not keeping the covenant, and he did. And so Paul is basically saying it's all about Jesus. It's not about you. Now there's three quick points of application, and we'll close this time. Number one, the absolute authority of the Word of God. Paul is making his point on whether a word is plural or singular here. He's saying, I didn't say seeds, I said seed, or child or children, you know. He basically is saying, 
I trust, as, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to make his point about the relationship between the Abrahamic covenant and how it would be fulfilled, he basically says it's, it's, a, it's an argument between singular or plural, which many of you know it's just adding an S at the end of a word. So he's saying this is how, what I think of the Scriptures. It's held in high esteem, high honor. It's got absolute authority. Jesus said a similar thing in Matthew 5. He said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. We can trust the Word of God. Jesus did. Secondly, there's a difference between a promise agreement and a law agreement. The Abrahamic covenant was a promise agreement. The Mosaic covenant was a law agreement. It's like this. If I were to say to you, I'll give you $10 if you go to my house and, and shovel, this, shovel the, uh, the driveway. Uh, it's done, so don't come up to me afterwards. But um, if I were to say that and I say, okay, and I'll be there in about an hour and I'll check on your work. And I come and you're, you're done and it looks good. And I say, okay, I promised you $10. You promised to do the work. You did the work. I give you the $10. We're done with it, right? That's a law agreement. That's a law covenant. A promise agreement is this. I ask, and I didn't do this, and I was going to do it, but it would cost me 30 bucks between the three services, so I didn't. I'm cheap. That's just the way I am. But if I had you, one of you come up and I just randomly pick somebody and say, would you come up here, and I just gave you $10. Okay, you can go back and sit down. And, uh, you would, and I would say, it's yours. Do whatever you want with it. That's a promise agreement. Basically, you, you, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You don't have to repay it. it is, it's just something you got. And essentially, that's what the Abrahamic covenant was. God was saying, I am going to do this for you. I choose to do this. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You'll never repay it. It's a gift. What Paul is saying is, our salvation is that type of an agreement. It's not a... It's not an agreement where you do your part and God does His part. We have an agreement and we both do our parts. Because you know what? The Mosaic Law says you can't do your part. You fail at every turn. And that brings us to our last point. But I just want to say, though, if you hear the Gospel and think, I need to do something, you're not hearing the Gospel. The last point is we have the freedom to fail. <clears throat> You know, if you don't understand why the law was given and the purpose of the law, then you'll try to keep it. You'll try to, to perform. You'll try to measure up. You'll try to do enough. And, and the law will crush you under its weight. It, it's very heavy. It's, it's impossible to keep. The only people who can take the law seriously are those who believe that salvation is by the promise. It's by the promise. It's a gift. It's grace. We know that we're saved by the promise and not by the law. But we also know the purpose of the law, to direct us to God. Uh, we understand why the law was given. And we, understand, we can listen to its demands and say it demands perfection. It demands and which we'll, we'll never reach, this side of heaven. But we understand that somebody reached it for us. So the burden is gone. We don't have to keep the law. We don't have to follow the law because someone kept it for us. We are children of the promise. We are set free because of what Christ did for us. Nothing that we have done or will do will ever jeopardize that or bring it to us. So unless you know that there's no condemnation, 
trying to keep the law will crush you. The reason why this is so important is because you can go out today and talk to people and they will inevitably say, I'm going to heaven because I'm trying real hard. And Paul will have none of that. He says it has nothing to do with what you are doing or trying to do, keeping the law. You are just running around in a prison cell. The door has been opened. Christ has given you freedom. Because He walked between the dead animals. And He not only kept the promise, but He took the curse for us. That's Paul's point in this whole passage. And he says, the law was never intended to save anyone. The promise of the One who would come was. Freedom comes because we know we we will fail. We know failure is a part of our lives. Even as a Christian, we know we're going to fail. But we're forgiven. That's the key. So we're not crushed. We know we're going to fail, but we know we're forgiven. So we're no longer crushed. We can hold our heads up. We know we belong to Him. We know that we're His children. We're His sons. We're His daughters. That we don't deserve it. It's just the gracious thing that He's given to us. That's why Paul spends so much time saying, you are no longer under the law if you are in Christ. You're no longer in prison. The doors are open. And you can understand why he would react so strongly to a group that would come and say, you've got to go back into the cell. You've got to keep the law. Paul said, no. The Son, the seed came. The promised Son came and He kept the law. And He took the curse of the law for me. And I'm free. The cell door is open. I can walk out. I can hold my head up. I will fail. But I'm forgiven. That's the message that Paul gives us this weekend. And I hope you heard it. I hope you caught it. Because there's so many people that aren't catching it. And their heads are down. They're trying their best. And they hope one day they'll measure up. Sadly, they'll come to Jesus and they'll say, Jesus, we did this, we did this, we did this. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I don't know you. And they may walk away saying, well, we tried our hardest. It's not about trying your hardest. It's about trusting in Jesus. The promise that was made to Abraham. That one came and fulfilled it. Fulfilled the law perfectly. Kept the law perfectly. Took the curse of the law for you. Went, went through hell for you. So that you could live. So that you could be forgiven. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Help us, Father, because this is such a challenging passage of Scripture. So many, there's so many moving components and so much uh, information that is kind of hard to put together sometimes. But the one truth that Paul gives us today is this. We are forgiven. We are free. 
not because of anything that we have done or are doing, not by keeping the law, but because a son of the promise came, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and set us free. Thank you, Jesus.